also reading those scriptures, those Old Testament scriptures that all point to the resurrection of Christ. So Christ's resurrection was foreordained by uh, the Lord and scripture speaks of it from the book of Job all the way down to the book. And we see in Jonah, you know, Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And that was a picture of Christ spending three days and three nights in the earth before he was resurrected. Christ himself said that in the scripture in Matthew that we just read. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so the son of man shall be three days and three nights. So Christ is saying there that uh, Jonah's being in the uh, belly of the fish was pointing to him. And also Job uh, said here, for I know that my redeemer lives. He was speaking of Christ uh, some 3,000, 4,000 years before, some 3,000 so years before Christ was even born. <laughs> so uh, this shows you uh, the the wonders of God's word, that God's word is true, that all of God's promises come true, even concerning the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible is not two separate books, Old Testament, New Testament, but it is one story of redemption throughout all of Scripture. Let us pray. Go before the Lord. Lord, we come to you. Thank you for this day, this Lord's Day, this Resurrection Sunday. We thank you, Lord, that you have instituted your church to worship on this day, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, the day that symbolizes Christ being raised from the dead by you, Father. Lord, we, as I said earlier in the service, you know, the world, as always, has hijacked this holiday and made it about Easter bunnies and Easter egg hunts and, and eggs and all those things. And we as Christians, in some ways, have fallen into that trap also. Um, and, and Lord, I, I pray that you help us to center our thoughts on what uh, this Sunday is all about. It is about Christ raising, being raised from the dead, rather, uh, by God the Father. By Christ being raised victoriously from the dead, conquering our last enemy, which is death. And Lord, we thank you that Christ was raised from the dead, because if not, we would have no reason to believe, as we're going to see this morning, in our sermon but father we just uh, thank you that Christians around the world all churches around the world are celebrating this day and Lord we pray for the persecuted churches in areas where they can't worship publicly but they can still worship privately because worship is in their hearts in spirit and in truth and not in a particular location so Lord we pray for the persecuted Christians in Places like North Korea and in China and in some countries in the Middle East and even some countries on the continent of Africa. We pray, Lord, for our brothers and sisters in Christ in some Eastern European countries who can't freely worship you. That you be with the persecuted church this morning as they're being persecuted for this same faith that we proclaim. And Lord, we pray for other Christians who are free to worship that we are centering our worship services and our sermons on the hope that is found in our resurrected Savior who gives us hope as believers in this world in which we live. And Lord, we pray for those who are unbelievers, those who look at Easter as just being about Easter bunnies. That, Lord, 
in your grace and by your mercy that you may reveal your truth to them about what this day is all about and that they are in need of the Savior who we celebrate on this day. They are in need in salvation from this very Savior, Jesus Christ. And that you may reveal your truth to them, Father, by the preached word, by friends or family members or co-workers as they share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them and that they may be brought to a saving faith in you. Lord, we pray this morning for our uh, church members who are uh, absent but watching online that you be with them. Pray, Lord, for those who are here this morning that you strengthen us, that remain, strengthen us as we uh, worship together in spirit and in truth, the one true God. We pray, Lord, for any who may be afflicted in here with sickness or illness, that you may be with them, that you may touch them and heal them. Lord, we pray for those who are uh, suffering other ways in here, Lord, that you be with them also. Lord, I pray this morning for our sister churches, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and our other churches who are worshiping you this morning, that you may bless and strengthen their congregations, bless and strengthen the leaders of those churches, also those men who are leading those churches. Lord, strengthen all of us as we continue to labor in the gospel, as we continue, Lord, to preach the gospel, to shepherd the flock of God, and to equip our uh, parishioners to live like Christ in this increasingly hostile and wicked world. Lord, be with me as I preach your message this morning, as I preach about the resurrection and ascension of Christ. Fill me with your spirit to teach this text well. And Lord, send your spirit to illuminate the truths that we will hear this morning. May we be refreshed and encouraged by your word. And may you use it, Lord, to bring sinners to repentance and to a saving faith in Christ. In whose name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, this morning. We're going to get two passages of scripture. And our message this morning is about the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. The word ascend, ascension, means to go up, to elevate. And Christ is the only one who is worthy of elevation. Christ is the only one who has been elevated. Christ is the one who was raised from the dead by God himself. Christ did not raise himself from the dead. God the Father raised him from the dead. We must make sure that we make that uh, distinction. That it was God the Father who raised Christ from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Trinity was involved in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Trinitarian God. So when we look at 1 Corinthians here, uh, chapter 15 verses 1 through 9 19 rather and these are the words of the apostle Paul he says now I will remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you which you received in which you stand and in which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believe in vain and this is the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ 
died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas who was Peter then to the twelve then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles and last of all as to one untimely born he appeared also to me for I am the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle of Christ because I persecuted the church of God but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain on the contrary I worked harder than any of them though it was not I but the grace of God that is within me that is with me rather whether then it was I or they so we preach and so you believed now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead but if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised and if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised for if the dead are not raised not even Christ has been raised and if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile and you are still in your sins then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished if in Christ we have hope in this life only we are of all people most to be pitied or pitiable as some translations say and then turn to Hebrews hold your spot and turn to Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 we're going to tie all this together long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins that's the crucifixion and resurrection he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs so this talks about Christ ascended to heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God at the right hand of the majesty on high who is God the father so that is where Christ is seated after his ascension I think it was 50 days after the resurrection he ascended to heaven and it's chronicled in the book of Acts the first chapter Christ ascended to heaven and took his seat at the right hand of the father where he is right now we'll get into that here in a little bit so just some opening thoughts here the, the resurrection of Christ is the happy ending to the sorrow of the cross the the cross, Good Friday as we call it, 
was a very terrible day because the innocent, sinless, suffering servant, Lamb of God, was crucified. He was punished for our sins. He bore the wrath of God. He took our place on the cross as our substitute. But the resurrection is the happy ending to that terrible and dark day. The darkest day in human history was the day that Christ was crucified. And the brightest day in human history was when Christ rose from the dead. So the most important event in human history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of important events that have happened in the history of this world. Things that we know about, things that we were taught in school, things that have shaped world history. A lot of events that you can think about. In modern history, you can think about the September 11th attacks. You can think about going back to Pearl Harbor. You can think about the day that those two bombs were dropped on uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, uh, Japan, ending World War uh, II. You can go back to the days of the Civil War. You can go back into uh, war history, different conquests and different wars that took place. The bubonic plague that took out almost uh, the whole population of Europe. I mean, you can think about all these events and days in history that have happened that are important in human history. But the most important day, the most important event in human history was and is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now the thread of Christ's life in the scriptures is his incarnation. He was born. He was born of a virgin. He was born not in sin. He was born sinless. And then his crucifixion. He died as a, a sinless man, as an innocent man. And then his resurrection and his ascension. And without his ascension, our Redemption would not be complete, and we will see uh, why that is. So first, the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection was prophesied over 700 years in advance. Isaiah 53 and 10, which was one of our uh, responsive reading passages, says as much that Christ Resurrection, friends, was prophesied some 700 years before it actually happened. Isaiah 53 and 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. Prolong his days is speaking of the resurrection. That Christ's days were going to be prolonged. In other words, the crucifixion was not going to be the end of it. The crucifixion of Christ was not the end of Christ's story. God prolonged his days through the resurrection. So it was prophesied over 700 years in advance. And Jesus predicted his own resurrection. We just read that in the responsive reading in Matthew 12, where he said, just as Jonah was in the barrel of the fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the earth. So Christ spoke of his own resurrection. He spoke of it himself. <laughs> I, I, I think it's safe to say that 
Christ is the only person who could say that he's going to be raised from the dead and it actually happens. You know, we can't, we, we can promise that. <laughs> we, we can say, I'll be back. Uh, but no, we have no power over that happening. Okay, so so Christ spoke of his own resurrection. Christ actually died. The gospel accounts speak of it. Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, John 19. Speak that Christ actually died. And no one took Christ's life. Christ gave his life. He willingly gave his life. He willingly went to the cross. Listen. Christ did it willingly. No one made him. He wasn't coerced. He wasn't bullied into going to the cross. Christ gave his life as our substitute for our sins. He died and he was buried because back in, in Christ's day and in the first century church, it was speculated that uh, his body was hidden, that he didn't actually die on the cross, but he swooned. You know, those were rumors even back then over 2,000 years ago. And you think rumors are something that's new, right? <laughs> you know, rumors have always been around because man man is sinful. Man can make up things. It was it was speculated that Christ, uh, like conspiracy theories, that he, he, he swooned on the cross. And that he wasn't actually buried, but that his body was 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 hidden or it was like grave robbers came and took his <laughs> took his body away but when they buried people they rolled those stones across those tombs and those stones were pretty heavy and they were sealed uh, with the Roman seal it was sealed by Rome's finding so it wasn't something you just go to and just roll away just like that now Jesus resurrection convinced his family members convinced foes and convinced doubters to worship him as God. James, uh, Peter's brother, did this thing as, as is chronicled in Matthew 13 and 55. James, the brother of Jesus, uh, doubted. And here we see James writing the book of James in the Bible. James, the first chapter, he's the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude, who wrote the book of Jude, was Jesus' brother. And you hear about doubting Thomas. He became a, uh, he was a skeptic at first, but he became a believer also. So you have people even in Christ's day who saw him and didn't believe in the resurrection. But they ended up believing in him. So let's look at our text here first. Paul talks about the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Again, the gospel is the proclamation of the good news. I remind you, brothers, of the gospel. We need to be reminded of the gospel. The gospel is the good news. But what is the good news? We're going to see what it is. But good news is good news because there's bad news before that. What's the bad news? You're a sinner. You're a rebel. You're not special. There's nothing special about you or me as sinners. 
you are under the wrath of God. Right now, if you're an unbeliever, guess what? You're under the wrath of God. There's nothing special about you. You're a sinner. Because this is the thing. Our, our culture says, celebrate, worship yourself. You're all that in a bag of chips. That's what the world says, right? Celebrate you. Live your truth. You're a sinner. You are condemned. You are an enemy of God. You are hostile to God. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ right now, you are God's enemy. His judgment is on you right now. The Bible tells us there's none who does good, no, not one. Even our righteous acts are tainted with sin. So the bad news is, you're lost. You're a sinner. You need a savior. You need a redeemer. You need to be saved from your sins. And, and, and also the good news is, there's no amount of good works that you can do to save yourself. There's nothing good that you can do to save yourself. You can walk the old lady across the street every day. That's not going to save you. You can show up in church every Sunday and sing songs and praise the Lord with everybody and listen to good sermons and still walk away lost. You coming to church does not do God any favors. You're not doing God a favor by showing up at church. You're not getting a little check mark by your name in the big refrigerator in the sky. You're not earning brownie points by, by, uh, 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 from God by doing good things and being nice to people. If you are in your sins, those things don't matter. You're going to be judged because of that. Because you're trying to earn your way into heaven. You're trying to earn your way to be in the right relationship with God. And you can't earn it. It's one man who earned that for you, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did the work so that you wouldn't have to you don't bring anything to the table but your sins Christ did the work he did it all he died on the cross in our place for our sins y'all get that he bore the wrath of God for us the wrath of God that was reserved for you and for me fell on Christ the bad news is you can't do anything to save yourself. Christ did it. That's the bad news of the gospel. That you don't have the ability to save yourself. And that if you don't repent and turn from your sins and turn to Christ and be saved, the wrath of God is going to remain on you. It's going to be like taking that thumb and just weighing you down. You're never going to be happy. You're never going to be fulfilled. Nothing in this world, all this fame, all this stuff that you chase in this world, the world says, go do this, go do that, go say this, go post that, go destroy your body, go mutilate your flesh, go sleep around with whoever. Just do all those things. Live it up. Live your best life. Eat, drink, and be merry. 
and you're going to still feel miserable. That void is still going to be there. That emptiness, you cannot shake it. I don't care what you do. I don't care how much attention you get. I don't care how much fame you have. Why do you think so many of these famous people are so miserable? Why? Because they are under the wrath of God. They're miserable. They're so rich, all they have is money. But they're miserable. They're in pain, people. Why? Anybody who has rejected God is under his wrath. No exceptions. It could be your mother, your father, your siblings, your uncles, your aunties, your, your nana, and your pawpaw, your bestie, your co-workers. If they are rejecting God, and they're rejecting salvation, right now they're under the wrath of God. They're feeling it in the middle of the night when they're scrolling through TikTok trying to find some type of entertainment to make them feel better. When that dopamine high goes away, they still have to deal with their miserable, sinful selves. And what do they do? Instead of turning to Christ, they increase in more sin. That's the bad news. You are lost without Christ. But what is the good news? Paul says here, I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand. He's speaking to believers in which you are being saved. It is the gospel that saves. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. And what is this gospel? Verse three. First of all, the gospel must be preached. Paul says in Romans 10 to 17, how can they hear except by a preacher? So the gospel must be preached. They can't hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That scripture means faith in Jesus Christ. It don't mean just faith for faith's sake. When Paul says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, he means faith in Christ. Faith in Christ comes through what? Hearing. Hearing what? The gospel. Hearing the fact that you're not good, but here is good news. Jesus is good. So the gospel must be first preached. Why do unbelievers not want to come to church? Because they don't want to hear the gospel. Let me tell y'all some people. People don't want to hear the truth. It's been like this since the beginning of time, since our first parents, Adam and Eve, who sinned against God. Because they did not believe the truth that if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. And they ate from it, right? They didn't believe the truth. So it's as old as our first parents, Adam and Eve. People don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear that they need a savior. Why? Because man is their own savior. You can save yourself. You're your own savior. That's what people want to hear, that they're their own savior. That you don't need the church. You don't need Christ. You don't need the fellowship of the saints. You don't need the Bible. The Bible's old, antiquated, bigoted book. They don't want to hear the truth. 
but it must be preached still. We preach the gospel no matter where unapologetically. We're going to preach the gospel. Because it is the gospel that saves. It is the gospel truth that we need to hear. And then not only must it be preached, but it must be received. Paul says, in which you received and you are being saved. I'm sorry. The gospel which I preached to you, which you received. So not only must the gospel be preached, but it must be received. That means you must give ear to it. Again, it's not like checking off a list like you're doing God a favor. Okay, I showed up at church today. James 1.21 says, Therefore, laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. It is the word of God that brings salvation. The word is preached. The Holy Spirit takes that preached word and applies it to your heart. And as he applies it to your heart, you are saved. You believe that word that the spirit has applied to your heart. But guess what? If your heart is hardened, it's not going to be applied to your heart. and You're going to remain in unbelief. A.W. Tozer said this, and it is so true. People who are judged to hell want it to go. No one can blame God on that great day when he says, depart from me. People are in hell because they want to go to hell. You know why? Because they choose to reject the gospel message they choose it they choose rejection they do it that's the hard truth but that is the gospel truth they do it because they want to they want darkness Jesus said that himself in John the third chapter men want darkness rather than light so that their deeds cannot be exposed He says, this is the condemnation that came into the world. That light has come into the world. He's speaking of himself. But men love darkness rather than light. That's John 3, verses 17 through 19. Men love darkness rather than light. They don't want the light of the gospel. They want to live in darkness. They want to live in sin. Because they believe the lie that sin is good. That it feels good. That it sounds good. That it's freedom. They would rather believe the lie. So though the gospel is preached, they have to receive that gospel as what they need, that truth for their life. You want to be saved from your sins, from the misery of your sins? Come to Christ. Be saved. Repent, turn away from that sin and come to Christ. Lord, how many people are falling for the lies of the culture? You know, 
we have access to so much more information now. The more access we have, the more foolish and dumb we become. The smarter our phones are, the more stupid we become. That's what's happened. You know, there are over one million apps in the App Store, in the Apple App Store. Think about that. One million apps. Some of us probably got half, half a million on our phones. <laughs> you know why? Because we're mindlessly looking for things to do what? Entertain us. Keep us from being, what's that word that teenagers say? Bored. And yet, you're still what? Bored. Why? Because sin does not satisfy you. It will never satisfy you. This world will never satisfy you. Young people, middle-aged people, old people, this world offers nothing that will ever satisfy you. you will all, the world will always leave you wanting. The world's water is like drinking salt. Salt just makes you more thirsty. And you're going to keep drinking it because you, you just can't get your thirst quenched. But you're going to keep drinking it anyway. That's what the world is like. It's like drinking salt water. You're going to just keep longing for it. Keep the longing for it. It's just not satisfying. Because you're hearing the gospel, but you're not receiving it. You're not saying, okay, I believe this, Lord. Or, Lord, help me to believe this. The good news is here. Paul says it must be preached. It must be received. And once you receive it, you stand firm in it. You don't depart from it. We stand firm in the gospel. We hold it tight. We hold it close. We hold it dear. And then he says, by which you are being saved. The gospel saves us. It justifies us. It sanctifies us. And it glorifies us. What, is the, what does believing the gospel do? It makes us right with God. You cannot be right with God without coming to Christ. There's no other way around it. No man comes to the Father except through him. It is Christ and his righteousness that is given to us when we're saved and that makes us right with God. We are reconciled with God. We are made into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's justification. Our sins are wiped away and he sanctifies us. He grows us. We grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we mature in our faith. God sets us apart and sets us aside for him to worship him alone. And then glorification is that great day when we do go to be with the Lord. We're going to see him as he is and we're going to be like him and we're going to take on glorified bodies and we're going to worship him forever and ever. That is what this salvation involves. And then Paul said, Unless you believe in vain. Don't believe in vain. We have to ask ourselves, is our faith real? Are we consumers or are we active participants? So then he gets down to what is most important. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance. There are a lot of important things, as I said earlier, in our lives, in this world. But this is of first importance to all of us as believers. That Christ died for our sins. 
as I said earlier, Christ actually died according to the scriptures. He died according to the scriptures. He actually died. He died for our sins. Because we couldn't possibly die for our own sins. Christ died for our sins. So, he died according to the scriptures. Two scriptures are like John 1 and 29 and Galatians 1 and 4. Speak of that. Paul spoke of that also. And not only that, he was buried. Paul says that. He was buried and that he was raised in accordance with the scriptures. And Paul, when he's speaking of the scriptures, he's speaking of primarily Isaiah 53 verses 3 through 12, which speak of the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. It describes the substitutionary death of Christ and the vindication of him by being raised from the dead. So Paul says that he was buried and also that he rose from the dead. And we talked about that earlier with uh, Isaiah 53 and 10. So these are what is of first importance in accordance with the scriptures. Then verse 5, and not only did he raise from the dead, people actually saw him. First he was seen by Peter or Cephas. So over a 40-day period, he was seen. He appeared. It says, then he appeared uh, to Cephas and then to the 12, that means other uh, apostles, which includes Matthias, who was uh, Judas's uh, replacement. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Now, the reason why this is important, we have to understand this. You know, in the Old Testament, in the law, uh, the scripture says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. So in antiquity, eyewitness accounts was very important to those, to those cultures and to biblical law. As it is now and as it should be, you know, two or three witnesses every word should be established or established as true. That's basically what that means. So the Bible says two or three witnesses. But Paul here says that Christ is seen by how many? 500. So 500 different men saw the resurrected Christ. So what is one or two people or three people? People who thought that they saw somebody that looks like them, you know, the case of mistaken identity. No, he was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. So he was seen. He was seen. And he appeared over a 40-day period. And some of those eyewitnesses have fallen asleep. They, they died since the resurrection. Because Paul's gospel was written about 30 years after uh, Christ had uh, uh, been raised from the dead. But some of them had fallen asleep. 
So he, he, he didn't want to exaggerate. He didn't want to exaggerate. So these Christians saw Christ. So early Christians uh, took this eyewitness account as proof that Christ rose from the dead. And it preserved the historically accurate details of his resurrection. So he was seen by over 500 brothers. And then it says in verse 7, he appeared to James, who's the brother of the Lord. And James was also the leader of the Jerusalem church, uh, by the way. And other apostles, all the apostles. This is, includes James and Paul and some, some other apostles. Last of all, as he says in verse 8, as to unt one untimely born, he was seen by me. And Paul said this because Paul was not one of the original 12 apostles. So he was even seen by Paul. So when Paul was writing this to the Corinthians, and why was Paul writing this to the Corinthians? Because there was questions about the resurrection of the dead among the Corinthian church. So that's why Paul wrote this section of his letter to them. Remember, uh, Paul's letters were written in uh, answers, especially the Corinthians, the letters to the Corinthians were written as answers to questions that the church had or addressing controversies that the, 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 the churches faced. So here in the, the church in Corinth, they were facing questions about the resurrection and some were telling them that there was not going to be a resurrection of the dead. That's why he's going to address this in his next section. So Paul says, last of all, as one who was untimely born, he appeared also to me. And he shows great humility here by saying that he was the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because he persecuted the church of God. But he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So the resurrection of Christ had humbled Paul. He was humbled by it because he considered his conversion from persecuted to apostle of the Gentiles to be a wholly undeserved gift of God. Why would God call someone who persecuted his church? God can call anyone. Paul on the road to Damascus, in, as is written in Acts the ninth chapter, he saw the risen Christ. Because Christ had appeared to him. And what did he say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So Paul himself had experienced the risen Christ. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not in vain. So God's grace did not lead to Paul being passive, but it prompted harder work on his part. And that is what the grace of God does in all of us that as believers. It propels us towards good works in Christ. So this was the importance of the resurrection to the church and also to Paul. The actual, the, the fact that the resurrection had humbled Paul and it caused him to be diligent. Paul himself wrote in Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13 to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is him who works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. That's the grace of God at work in us. And you know what? The resurrection makes that possible. 
The resurrection makes it possible for the grace of God to work in us. Christ raised from the dead, Christian, get to work, in other words. God didn't call us to passivity. He called us to work. Work with what? The grace of God that has been uh, given to us in salvation. Because Christ rose from the dead, it propels us toward good works. And then he points to the hope of the resurrection. And this is the main section of this letter, or this part to this church. Because, again, the question was about whether there was a resurrection of the dead or not. Whether there's going to be a future resurrection of believers on that final day. And spoiler alert, it is. There will be a resurrection of the dead in Christ. So that's a spoiler alert. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as from the, raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? So obviously, some Corinthians were saying that it wasn't a resurrection of the dead. So Paul was like, how can you say that when Christ rose from the dead? Or when Christ was raised from the dead, rather. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. I'll just sum all this up by saying this. If death was all that we had to look forward to, our lives are hopeless. If Christ didn't, if God didn't raise Christ from the dead, we have absolutely no hope in this world. Say that again. If death was all we had to look forward to, our lives are hopeless. The overwhelming number of cases, but I can I can venture to say that those who commit suicide do so because they feel like they have no hope. They say, "What's what's what's the use of living?" Nobody. You know, they always use those absolutes. Nobody cares about me. Nobody loves me when that's not true. They have family members that love them. They have friends who love them. They have co-workers who love them. But they've convinced themselves that what? Their life is hopeless. That it's in shambles. That they have no hope. What's the use of living? Nobody cares about me. Nobody's going to miss me when I'm gone. Those are all lies rooted in selfishness and self-centeredness and self-worship and idolatry. <clears throat> That's a hopeless life. But your life is not hopeless if you have Christ. Christian, no matter what happens in your life, no matter how much despair you're in, you still have hope. Your hope is in our risen Savior.
Christians should never be the people who say we lost hope. It's not some wishful thinking type of hope. No, our hope is in a person. Our hope is in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that he is going to make all things right because he is. When he comes back, guess what? He's going to settle all accounts. We have a hope that Christ is coming back. We have a hope that there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. We have a hope that there is a life beyond this life. That uh, unlike the soap opera title, we don't have just one life to live. We don't just live once. There is a life after this one. This life is not it. This life is not it. If death was all we had to look forward to, our lives are hopeless. We don't go to the great beyond or the great nothing. We don't reincarnate because of how much good or bad karma we have. No, no, that's, 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 that's foolishness. We have a definite hope. It is real. It is actual. And their hope is in Christ. So Paul is telling this church here. If Christ is raised from the dead. Then you're going to be. But if there's no resurrection of the dead. Then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised. What am I doing up here preaching? If Christ is not raised from the dead. And what are you doing believing? What are you doing coming to church? What are you doing reading your Bible? Who, you know, what are you doing praying? If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. Everything that we're doing as acts of worship is futile if Christ had not been raised from the dead. We're wasting our time here this morning. Let's go home and just live. And whatever happens after we die, it happens, whatever that may be. We don't have an uncertain hope like that, friends. We have a definite hope, and that's what the resurrection tells us, that we have a certain hope hope now the problem that the Corinthian had was that Christ's followers would not be raised but that is not true Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church about that that when Christ comes back and cracks that sky the dead in Christ will rise first and the sea will give up its dead and there's something those who died at sea those Christians who perished in Pearl Harbor who were sunken with those ships that were attacked those Christians who died traversing the waters planes that have crashed with believers in them and their bodies are buried at sea guess what when that day comes guess what their bodies going to be raised up too that's going to be a glorious day their bodies may be decayed and bones and nothing may be left for their bodies. But guess what? When they are raised from the dead, they're going to receive glorified bodies. No matter what condition your body is in, when you die, saints, guess what? It's going to be glorified. It's going to be put back together. That's what we have to look forward to. We can burn up in a car crash or in a house fire, but guess what? That's not going to take away the fact that our bodies 
are going to be raised from the dead and are going to meet with our spirits in heaven. That's the hope that we have as believers. That's what we have to look forward to. Now, there are going to be two resurrections. Everyone will be resurrected, not just believers, but unbelievers too. Jesus said this in John, the fifth chapter, that there are two resurrections. You have the resurrection unto life and the resurrection unto condemnation. He says this in John 5 and 29. He says, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tomb shall hear his voice. He's talking about himself, the son of man and come out. Those who have done good, done good, meaning uh, being saved, born again to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Good works are evidence of true faith. That's what Jesus is saying here. And the evil works are the evidence of not having true faith. So there's going to be two resurrections. It's like my old pastor, the way he put it. When you die, you're going to be in hell already. And then when the day of judgment comes, you're going to have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be sent back to hell again. This time for all eternity. That's what's going to happen. So in essence, you go to hell twice. <laughs> Look, believe in Christ and you don't have to worry about that happening. Amen. But everyone's going to be resurrected. Everyone. Those who didn't die in Christ, they're going to be resurrected. And they're going to be judged to be sent back. There's no, there's no purgatory. There's no second chances. There's no pleading or plea bargains or anything like that. When God says, as John MacArthur said, the most terrifying words in all of uh, human language is depart from me. That is a final judgment. When God says depart from me, that's it. You're gone. Those are final words. It's a total and complete judgment. Come to Christ and you'll experience the other resurrection. Where he will say, enter into the joy of the Lord. Well done, what? Good and faithful servant. That's what you want to hear on that day. You don't want to hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Be prepared for the devil and his angels. You don't want to hear that. So because Christ rose from the dead, there will be those resurrections. But the resurrection is the hope of the believer. I always say this, the world, this world is the worst that it gets for believers. This world that we live in is the best, I'm sorry, the worst that it gets for us. But this world is the best that it would get for the unbeliever. This world is the best that it gets for unbelievers. It gets worse after this for them if they don't turn to Christ. They think it's going to get better. You live your best life. You accumulate all this wealth and all this social media fame and all this attention 
all these accolades from the world. Enjoy it while you can. But when that time is up and that clock expires, it's too late. No one can pray you into heaven. No one can cry you into heaven. No one can sing sweet lullabies of you into heaven. No one can lie in your obituary uh, your way into heaven. And say how you made everybody laugh. That you were always the life of the party. But your soul is still lost. Because you believe that this world could give you everything that you needed. And you live like that. Christians, we have a different hope. Our hope is in the world to come. Because Christ rose from the dead. Our hope is the, is the, is the fact that our bodies, we're going to be resurrected. We're going to see Christ again. We're going to dwell with him forever. That is what the resurrection does. Because Christ rose, we will rise. Because Christ defeated death, guess what? We will defeat death. Death does not have the final say. Death is not the end for the believer. Death is the beginning. And that's what he was telling the church here. We don't have a futile faith. And we're not going to be the most pitied because Christ rose and we're going to rise. Amen. And lastly, the ascension of Christ. Christ not only rose from the dead, but he ascended. This turns us to Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. When Christ ascended to heaven, the writer here says that he sat down. He sat down. What does sitting down mean? What, is it, what does it symbolize that Christ sat down? He didn't sit down because he was tired, like, man, I just need to take a seat. I need to rest my dogs, you know. My dog's barking. I need to sit down. No, this sitting down has significance to it. When it says here he sat down. It's as a, a reigning king does. A reigning king sits, sits down in his seat. He is in session ruling. A king rules by sitting down in his seat and he has his scepter in his right hand so Christ is seated right now in heaven ruling as king over all creation over all his people over all the earth with the scepter of righteousness the scepter of power in his right hand he is in he is he is Back to where he was before he came to the earth. When he prayed in John 17, he asked the Father to return him back to the glory that he had before. And he is in his glory right now, seated in session. And he's not just sitting there just comfortable. It says that he's seated at the right hand of God. And why is that important? The right hand was the seat of power, authority, and honor. That's what it means by the right hand as opposed to the left hand or as opposed to in the middle. 
He's seated at the right hand of God because the right hand of God represents the seat of power, authority, and honor. So what does Christ have right now? He has all power, he has all authority, and he has all honor. All praise, honor, and glory goes to Christ. All power on heaven and earth, as Christ said, is in his hand. All authority belongs to Christ. Christ is the supreme authority. He is the only authority to whom we are to worship and submit to. He is the only power. All power, all authority belongs to Christ. None of it belongs to us. Christ alone is king. He is what? King of kings and Lord of lords. To him alone belongs the glory. It's like the old hymn we sing in my church. To God be the glory for the things he has done. He alone has power. He is seated at the right hand of power. And what is he doing as he's reigning? A few things. Number one, he's reigning as our intercessor. He's our intercessor. He's making intercession for us. Paul says here in Romans 8 and 34, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, is also risen. Listen to this. Who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. So Christ right now is praying for you, Christian. When your faith is weak, Christian, when your faith is failing, when you're struggling and when you're suffering in this world, guess what? You have the great prayer warrior, Jesus Christ, interceding for you. What better person to be praying for you than Christ? You may say, pray for me, saints, and sometimes we'll forget. But guess what? Christ doesn't forget. Christ right now, as Paul says, he is even at the right hand of God, makes intercession for us. Christ is praying for you, Christian. Be encouraged. You have an intercessor. He does it day and night. He doesn't take breaks. He doesn't take a lunch break or a smoke break or any other bait break or anything like that. No, he is praying for you right now. He is seated at the right hand of God praying for you. He's not taking a 15-minute lunch. He's praying for you at the right hand of the Father. Not only is he our intercessor, he is also our high priest. The writer of Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews 4, that we do not have a high priest who is unfamiliar with our sufferings, but he was an always tempted yet without sin. Come boldly before the throne of grace that we may uh, obtain mercy and help in time of need. The writer of Hebrews 10 says this in Hebrews 10, 12, and 13. Listen to this. Man. But this man, speaking of Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for our sins forever, sat at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. So Christ is sitting at the right hand of God as our high priest. He's serving us. 
He's defending our righteousness before the Father. He is ruling as our mediator. First, first Timothy 2 and 5. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. To mediate means to fight on the cause or to advocate for, to defend. Christ defends our righteousness before the Father. Christ advocates for us. He speaks on our behalf. That's what it means to be a mediator, a, a go-between, a defense attorney, so to speak. Christ is our mediator. He mediates our righteousness before God the Father. When God sees Christians, he sees his son. He sees the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see our sins. That's justification. God, for the believer, he doesn't see our sins. He sees the righteousness of Christ on us. And Christ pleads our righteousness before the Father as our mediator. And he's our advocate, of course, with the same thing. 1 John 2 and 1, when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. An advocate speaks on the behalf of someone else. Man, it's so great. I'm just thinking about this. Christ speaks on our behalf before God. We don't have to speak on our behalf. Christ does it for us. We don't have to say, Lord, I'm a righteous man. No, Jesus does that for us. He pleads our righteousness before God. He is also ruler and king. He rules over us. He reigns over us as our king. We only have one king. We only have one monarch, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is your ruler? Who is your king? You may say, oh, Jesus is my king. Is he? Or do you have fear of man? Do you have fear of man? Are, are you more concerned about what people think about you more so than what Christ thinks of you? Do you have fear of man issues? Are you afraid to stand up for King Jesus and what he teaches, what he has taught, what he has commanded us? Are you ashamed of the risen Christ? Some people are. They try to remanufacture Christ. They try to repackage him. They try to make him something that he's not. They try to make him say things that he has not said. They try to make him approve of things that he has not approved of. Paul says he is not ashamed of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not to be either. We, we should not be ashamed to say that Christ rose from the dead and he ascended to heaven and he is seated at the right hand and he is doing all these things that we talked about. So in closing, we should never lose hope because Christ rose from the dead. Because he ascended, we should never feel alone. We should never feel like no one cares because your advocate, your mediator, your high priest, he does. 
The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives within every believer. Paul said that in Romans 8. And lastly, Christ is alive, people. It's not some fantasy. It's not a simulation. He is alive and he is reigning. He is ruling. You have a king. You're serving the king who is alive today. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is alive. We thank you that he is raised from the dead by your power. Lord, there are a lot of people who are living without hope in this world. Probably some people in here listening to this. They don't have hope. They're looking for hope in all the wrong places and all the wrong things uh, through all the wrong people. Lord, this world brings nothing but despair and misery. This world brings nothing but hopelessness. This world creates problems and then tries to solve the problems that they created and still create more problems. Lord, thank you for the hope of the resurrection. Thank you, Lord, that you raised Christ from the dead and that we have a living hope as 1 Peter 1 and 3 said, that you have caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for those who are unbelievers. They're hopeless right now. But Lord, I pray that you may save them, that you may use this sermon to save them, that you may use the testimony of other believers to save them from their sins. Lord, they're missing out on the greatest blessing of their life, and that is being one of your children. Save them from their sins, Lord. Bring them that resurrection life. In Christ's name I pray, amen.